those of us who believe the New Testament is inspired by God have an obligation to sit under God's Word and make sure we understand it before we quickly accept contemporary views on the roles of a husband and a wife in marriage. Before we conclude that Paul's instructions are outdated first century ideas that need to give way to progress, let's take a look at his instructions from Ephesians chapter 5 with our study leader, Dave Woodson. One of my greatest joys is to watch Tim do a marriage ceremony. There's something that Tim always does. You see, Tim loves drama. But Tim, in a wedding, though he always personalizes it, changes it for every couple, there's one thing that Tim always does. He looks at the man and he says, you are now going to enter the most important drama of your life. And he says to the beautiful bride, all dressed in white, you are about to enter the most important drama of your life. All of you in this room love dramas. In fact, you, some of you guys sitting here say, you don't want to admit it, but you go to those chick flicks with your wife, and when the, finally at the end of the story they kiss, you feel the same. Oh, this is exciting. Life is worth living because something's happening deep inside of you. And, and Tim expresses that this is the most important drama of all. And he says to the groom, he says, your role is the important role. You're to play the role of Christ. How many of you have ever heard that? And then he says to the bride, you're assigned the incredible role of the church, which is Christ's bride. And the whole meaning of the relationship that you're about to enter into is that this heavenly relationship between Christ and his bride, the church, and this present physical couple that we can actually see, that, 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 we can, that we can live with, that's going to enter a marriage relationship, and when you pronounce them husband and wife, they're going to leave the room, that for the rest of their lives, somehow as we look at this husband and this wife, we're to see the invisible relationship of Christ that's in love with his bride, the church. Now, as we define marriage, I want you to know that that's the ultimate definition of what a marriage is. It is a husband and wife in loving relationship with Jesus, fleshing out in this present life that invisible, incredible, eternal love that Christ has with his bride, the church. If you're an unbeliever here today, I want you to listen in. This is the ultimate vision in the Bible about what a marriage should be. Last week, I talked to you about how it's a sacred, holy vow. I talked to you about promises. This week, I want you to see that there's this incredible vision of what your marriage is supposed to be. And most of us sitting here don't really think like, I don't, it's really easy not to get up in the morning and say, hey, David, today, one of the most important responsibilities you have is to be really letting Christ move through you and change you and make you self-sacrificial and make you loving. It's easy not to wake up like that. And for Mary to wake up and say, hey, man, my really big role today is that as that I'm in relationship with my husband, Dave, that I am fleshing out for people. I am the church in my own being. I'm showing people what it means for the church to be in respectful submission to Christ. And I just said those dirty words. Like I did a wedding last night. And when I do a wedding, I challenge the couple about what I'm telling you about. And then I come to talk to the wife. And in fact, she has to say her vows. 
And I want you to listen. Something that's almost always left out of the ceremony. In fact, last night, as I went going through the vows of the wife, I hesitated. Because I just want to be really honest with you. It's very hard in our present culture to say, will you, in loving submission to your Lord, will you be respectful and submissive to your husband? That's almost always left out today because it's very controversial. If you don't know the Lord Jesus and you are an ardent feminist this morning, then you think that I just said that we want all the ladies to go back and wear burkas, and so you're already gone. And that's not what I'm saying. In fact, I know that in your gut already, some of you ladies have already had real strong visceral responses. And all I want you to do is I want you to relax for a few minutes because I want you to realize that, that you're hearing all kinds of voices Your society is teaching you all different voices, even within the Christian community. When I first started the ministry, everybody believed that a woman, when she chose to enter into a loving relationship with a husband, that she was to be respectful of him, that she was to be submissive to him, that she was to to let him be the leader. Now that's gone. Why is that gone? Because there's a tremendous movement in our society. There's a tremendous movement of justice and your rights and that when you're abused, ladies really have been abused down through the century. And so you go to a a university class and, man, feminism is really pushed. And if you've had an abusive relationship with a dad or you've heard about relationships with husbands or maybe you're in one, then you automatically move from this abusive, power-hungry leadership. You jump all the way across And we're not going to have man leadership in this home. What Paul's going to do today is he's not really going to talk about the problems of a marriage. He's not going to really talk about the really powerful situations where a man doesn't do what he's supposed to do and where a woman doesn't do what she's supposed to do. The Bible does talk about all those problems. But I want you today to capture a vision, one of the most incredible pictures of what a marriage ought to be, And the Apostle Paul, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, he says that all of us need to have a spirit of submission to one another. And what that means is, in order for you to understand me today for the next few minutes, you need to at least begin by relaxing a little bit and not pushing back at what I'm trying to teach you right away. Don't do that. In fact, this will help you kids in school. It'll help you in everything. If you learn that when, you're, when you want to learn, you need to open your heart. You need to be submissive to the person that's trying to teach you. I want you to eventually have critical thinking. I want every one of you to spend personal time alone with the Lord. But I want you to begin today by understanding that the Apostle Paul is writing to a pagan city called Ephesus, a group of believers living in that city, living in a very patriarchal society where the men really are the leaders. In fact, the men rule everything. A woman's often treated like a piece of property. So that's the social setting. And the Apostle Paul is running to a group of believers and he's given them a vision that they are now united with Christ in this incredible oneness based upon the cross. He's just gotten through by saying that they live in a dark world where where people are sinning and where there's violence and where there's immorality. It's a city that in every respect is, is worse than the culture that we live in. And the Apostle Paul just told them, you need to wake up as a group of believers. You need to come awake and you need to live in the light. 
And then he talks to us about what we just did. He says, I want you, when you get together, I want you to sing together. I want you to praise God together. I want you to have thankful hearts together. And he talks about them gathering, and the home was very much a part of it. One of the things in our own church family is we stress the church's family. And the reason we do that is because that's the dominant way that the church is presented in the New Testament scriptures. And in the first century church, they didn't have buildings like this. In the early church, they all met in homes. You had all these little kids running around. You had husbands and wives there. You had grandparents there. It is right in a home. So as the Apostle Paul talked to them about singing to one another and having joy together, it was only normal for him to switch and say, now let's talk about the way that this household should run. Let's speak about what this household should have a vision of. And so he says, I want the whole household to be built on that we give to each other. We submit to each other. But then he goes on and says something that, you, that, that appears to be contradictory. Look at it in Ephesians chapter 5 and 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of fear for Christ. And we're going to end up there. But then he says, okay, you wives, I want you to submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, you've all heard that submit isn't in that verse. It's picked up from the previous verse. But it's easy to say, well, therefore, Paul isn't really saying that, that we don't need to have a wife be submissive to her husband in the marriage because it's, we're all supposed to submit to each other. And that really the issue is the Apostle Paul saying there's not going to be any authority in this home. There's not going to be anyone that has the responsibility of leadership. And what's really interesting is that the Bible in Colossians 3 it does tell a wife to be submissive to her husband. In 1 Peter 3, it says, if you're in a relationship with an unbelieving husband, the way that you as a wife can touch the life for Jesus so that your husband doesn't burn in hell forever, so that he comes to know Jesus, the best way for you to reach him is to have a gentle, quiet, submissive spirit towards him. And I've taught you in the past how that's the way that you move people. Like if I beat you over the head, you fight me. If I give to you, then you want to listen. All good teachers know that, that you're gentle, that you're easy with people, and then you can move relationship, you can move information and life change through that relationship of love. The pastoral epistles are really strong. Titus chapter 2 says, you older ladies need to teach the younger women to love their husbands and be submissive to them. Now, our culture automatically jumps automatically jumps that that's all the first century. So let's forget that. Well, what I ask in this passage, if I'm going to forget that, why don't I forget that we need to be submissive to one another? Because my culture really doesn't teach that we need to be submissive to one another, that we need to live to meet each other's needs. My culture teaches I need to go for it, that I need to live for justice. So why don't I throw that out too? In fact, this passage is going to talk a whole lot more about my responsibility to love Mary just as part of my own body and to love her like Christ loved the church. It's, it's going to be many more words about my responsibility. I'd like to jettison that. Why don't I jettison that and say, well, that's very cultural. You see, the issue that's at stake here, and I want you to think hard, I want every one of you to ask yourself, what's your authority? I teach college students. I know what the college students hear. You are taught total egalitarianism, that patriarchy is really a bad thing, that when fathers are really responsible in the home and when husbands really lead in the home, you're taught that's really a bad thing and you need to fight against it. I want you to start to ask yourself, where did that information come from? Who told you that? 
How do you know that when you live this life one time, that that'll be a good way to live? And I would challenge you, look at some matriarchal society. All of you ladies that say, man, that's what I want to go to. Then look carefully at it. Because I am really concerned. Because I have guys in their 30s that still don't want to get married. Because they're wimps. They don't want to take on a responsibility. Because they don't want to be leaders. And I'm really concerned about that. Because they haven't been taught from the time they were little boys. You need to be strong. You need to be loving. And you need to take responsibility. If you love a woman, you're supposed to provide for her. You're supposed to lead her. You're supposed to be protecting of her. Instead, I have a bunch of guys that are taken care of by their mama. So think hard about that. There's whole cultures in our world you can look at where the women are the leaders in the family. They lead it. They make the decision. And you need to ask yourself really honestly, is that really what I want? And all of you ladies need to ask yourself, what do I really want? Because I want to tell you something. If you fall in love with a man and you want to marry, then this is going to be a really important thing. The Lord isn't telling you that you need to be submissive. If you're the head of Exxon Oil Company, one of the biggest standard oil, you can lead all the men that are there. The Bible says that's awesome. If you want to run for president of the United States, man, if you are really skillful, if you're a wise leader, if you're going to lead in the right direction, man, I'll vote for you. But when you walk into the home and when you tell me, hey, I want to marry this guy, then you need to think really hard because it's going to really hurt your internal structure if you say, I'm not going to submit to him. And I want you to know that the first submission is to the Lord. This whole thing, we all need to do this. You submit to the Lord. Notice he says, why submit your husband and to the Lord? For the husband's the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he's the Savior. What I want you to see is that Paul is stressing that here's Christ and here's his church. He's saying that the husband is to model his relationship after the saving. So you husbands are already starting to have the Apostle Paul teach you. You need to be a saving person. You need to be a delivering person. You need to be a person that brings life into your wife, not someone that's killing her. So the stress in this passage is right away the picture, the vision, and the spotlight is on Jesus, which is what I want all of you to put it on. Paul is really focused on Jesus. He's saying that the wife needs to be looking to Jesus. But he's saying that in a marriage, the way that should be biblically, according to Ephesians, the husband's really connected with the head. And he is really close to that Christ. And he's seeking guidance. And, it, and it's a healing relationship. And, and there's all kinds of communion and fellowship and mutual sharing of advice. But he said that the husband carries that load of responsibility that he has to follow Christ's leading. And when you come to those decisions where someone has to decide and someone needs to lead, he's saying you wives need to be at your husband's side and you, you encourage him because you're respectful, because you're going to obey him and you're not going to sabotage him. We're sabotaging all of our leaders today, not just in the home, but across our society. And that's what I want us to, Ephesians is giving us life-transforming insight. You wives, you want your husband to grow and to shine? Then 
Put yourself underneath them. And that's hard, ladies, when your husband doesn't respond the way that he should. And that's what First Peter's about. But this passage is speaking about the ideal, that you're to do that as to the Lord. And then he says this, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And then it's going to end the passage. If you look at the very end of the, of the verse, when Paul, at the end of this section, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loved himself, and the wife must, and the word literally is to fear her husband. And the idea of fear is not that you're scared to death of him, but your husband's supposed to be strong and powerful. And he uses that power for you. Remember when I told you that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge? And I told you that the fear of the Lord means that you understand how powerful God is. But then he puts out his hand and says, I gave my son to die for you. I gave your son to rise again. I am for you. So you allow the living God of the universe who's omnipotent, you allow him to protect you through his power. That's what it means to fear him. And a wife, Paul is teaching, should have that respectful submission, that reverence. And that's why First Peter will say that Sarah would call Abraham Lord. It's a term of respect. And in our culture, there's no respect for anybody anymore. It's horrifying. If I say to an audience, like you say to a woman, I really respect my husband. I bless his leadership. Like if I were to ask you, when was the last time you were the wife said, honey, I know it's really tough. You made a really tough one. Looking about that financial decision, whether or not, you know, we really researched about that refrigerator and we examined everything and we went together and, man, I was back and forth at Home Depot, which one to get? And, and finally I said, man, I really think we ought to get that one. How many of you wives remember times that, honey, thanks so much for doing that? That's what I get into. Like Mary's, Mary's an awesome administrator and everything, but, man, when you go into Home Depot and you got to buy this or this or this, we could go on forever. In fact, I love it. I, you, I'm really blessed because Mary won't buy anything. I mean, you can, all of you that are her friends, man, we'll go, she can go with you, and we're not buying nothing because she's so, so Dutch that you just don't spend anything, which is awesome. But sometimes you just have to get it or we're going to have spoiled meat. And what Paul is saying is, Mary and I, we've been married over 40 years now. In the depths of my soul, Mary is strong with me, you all know she expresses her viewpoint. But I want you to know from the depths of my heart, I know for sure as I stand before you that she respects me. She honors me. And she made me not be a little boy under my mama's apron strings. She left her mom and dad when I was 20 years of age without, without a dime in my pocket. And she stood at my side, and we lived our life together. That's what I covet for you guys. It's not a bad thing. And I just want to share with you, you ladies have an incredible role to play because your husband is disrespected in a million different ways, and his culture is challenging him to act like a teenager for a lifetime. And because I love you guys, I want some guys that will grow up and lead. And I want you to know, ladies, the Scripture doesn't ever give your husband the right to make you. This text says nothing about making a woman submit. You ladies are all individual daughters of God, if you know Jesus. It's your choice. That's how much God respects you. 
And I'm just trying to help you. You don't have to buy what I'm saying, but don't run away from Ephesians too quickly. Now I want to speak to you guys. That's the most important part. What are we supposed to do as guys? The way this passage is set up, I would expect it just told Mary she needs to be submissive to me. So I'm getting, yeah, yeah, that's right. Actually, I'm saying, oh, man, that means I've really got to bear down and really be careful with this family and be careful with Mary. I would expect the next passage for me to say, husbands, lead your wives. And I've taught you this over and over again, but look at it again. It doesn't say that it's husbands. It doesn't tell you to lead your wives. The way that you lead, I want every one of you to listen to me. This is so important. The way that you really lead people is you love them. Did you hear what I just said? You want to be a real leader? Real leaders don't need titles. They don't need positions. They just powerfully influence. And people follow them. And people want to live like them because they love. Really powerful. Husbands, love your wife. What's our model? Just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. So I need to be willing to give my life for Mary. And you as husband need to be willing to give your life for your wife. But I also need to realize that the Lord has a very powerful purpose for her. The Lord trying to make her holy. That means just like him in his character. And at her baptism, it pictured how Jesus, when Mary received the Lord as her Savior, that he cleansed her by the washing with water. It was through the power of the word of the gospel. That's Paul's idea. Just like in our church, we see our kids baptized and we see adults baptized. As you watch someone get baptized, that's the beginning where the Lord sets them apart for himself. And then for the lifetime, the living God of the universe, the precious son of God, is shaping and molding that child of his. Mary isn't mine. She is the Lord Jesus's. What it's saying is just like he's taking me and taking you, he is getting us ready to one day stand in Jesus's presence and we're going to be without spot or wrinkle. On Friday night, I was in a chapel over in Arlington and everybody was standing. The music began to really crank it up. And then it was just everybody's waiting with anticipation and they threw open the back doors and Dave Bear's little precious daughter, Brittany, was standing there with her daddy and she's with all of her glory, not a blemish, not a wrinkle. You ladies work hours and hours to get the bride. This is the one day she really is supposed to look really good. Why did we do all that? Why does everybody stand? Because something deep inside says, man, That has to do with eternity. And what I want you to know is that every one of us one day is going to experience that incredible joy because of the power of Jesus and because of his cross, because of the resurrection. One day, the the king of the universe, the God of heaven, the ultimate dead is going to throw the door open. And you that know Christ as his savior are going to be applauded and you're going to be cheered because you become like the savior by amazing grace. Your marriage, I want to ask you, husband, you know what it means to be a husband for your wife? Is your walk with your wife, is your love for your wife, is it building that intimacy with Christ? Is it enhancing the work of the Spirit to make her more pure? That's what it means to be a husband. That's what the Lord's going to hold us responsible for. The Lord is working. He gave me Mary just temporarily, and he's carving her into his image. Mary is his ultimate bride, just like I am. But my role as a leader is to be under Christ so that I'm, I'm enhancing the work of the Spirit in her life. So I need to be asking myself every day because Mary is my wife and she's living with me. 
Does it make her more pure? Does it make her closer to Christ? Does it cause her to want to love Christ more? That's the vision of a marriage the Apostle Paul is saying. And the Dallas Morning News won't have any idea what I'm talking about. But I want you to know what I'm talking about. We've got to have a generation that understands this, that has a vision of it. It isn't working the other way. And you can do it. Wherever you are, the Lord, you might have totally messed up and totally departed from this. That's what amazing grace is about. You can start this morning. And you husbands can say, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be willing to die for my wife. And I'm going to try to walk along with Christ and help her to become pure. It gets very practical for all of you. At this time, all of the men raise their hands. Man, this business of loving about like the heavenly Christ, it's so complicated and theoretical. No, it isn't actually. It'll become more and more real for you. But Paul makes it really practical. In the same way husbands ought to love their wives, even as part of their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it. As I look around this room, there's very few of you men look underfed, <laughs> myself included. The next word is really important. She cherishes. So men, you are literally responsible. In a very practical way, you should feed your wife and you should clothe her. In the ancient, for hundreds and hundreds of years, that's what men were supposed to do. Doesn't mean that both of you can't work, but men, you need to take real strong responsibility in this. And I think a lot of you men understand that, but the next word is really important. It's the word to make her warm. Is your wife warm because of you? What a woman needs more, she can almost starve to death. But if there's no cherishing, if there's no warmth, I promise you guys, your wife will go through the Sahara with you if you keep her warm. And this is really serious. Mary and I just were out with another guy last night with a whole family of boys. His wife just told him, I'm gone. And I don't know all the details of that. I live with that every single week. But I want to tell you, doing a lot of counseling a lot of years, a ton of women are saying, I'm as cold as ice. And I've been carrying this thing for year after year after year. And I just can't do it anymore. I'd just rather be alone. Not a good choice. You say, husband, what can I do? If you keep her cold for 20 years, call her bad names, ignore her, don't affirm her. Don't use your mouth to speak upon her heart. Somebody else will. Somebody else will. So Paul knows what he's talking about. You don't just feed her. I'm responsible. I had old mentors in Christ told me years ago, when Mary and I were been married just a little bit, they would grab Mary and they'd look at her. And I asked, what in the world are you doing? That's my wife. What are you doing? And some of my older brothers, they would say, I'm looking in Mary's eyes. I'm seeing if she's alive. And they would say, Wordson, if the lights aren't on, that's your responsibility. You're to love her like Christ loves the church. You're to feed her. You're to keep her warm. The lights need to be on. 
because you're loving her. That's what Paul is saying. How many think that's a really bad vision of a marriage? Isn't this awful? I think it's really, it's like a touch of heaven here on earth. Then Paul closes by saying, this is a profound mystery, but I'm actually talking about the Messiah Jesus and his bride, the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must fear, but not being afraid of him. But she realized that the Lord has given him that responsibility of leadership, that one day that precious husband is going to stand before the Lord, and the Lord is going to say, well, David, how did you do with Mary? You were responsible. I've taught you all along. That's what real leadership is. On Thursday afternoon, I buried another husband. They've been married 37 years. And I came to the head of the casket. Everybody goes by. Leola was the last person to come. And she cried. She looked at me right in the eye. She said, he was such a good husband. He was such a good husband. And the tears rolling down her cheeks, she said, boy, am I going to miss him. And I said, Lord, that's what I want. Isn't that what you guys want? That's an old-fashioned value. The guy was a World War II guy. But I think that value can live again today. And I believe that we can, by the power of the Spirit, we can define our marriages as a redemptive story of grace, picturing the incredible love that Jesus has for his bride, the church, fleshed out in our incredible marriages as husbands and wives. Let's pray. Lord, only your Spirit can help us to really live. Father, it begins for me really practically. It's not just getting a cup of coffee first for myself like I often do, but I need to think of Mary. I pray that my brothers, I pray especially for our young teenage men, I'd ask you, Lord, that you would use this morning's message to kindle in their hearts a vision of what it means to really love a woman that becomes your wife. I pray especially for young teenagers that are exposed to such different teaching today. I'd ask you, Lord, that you would powerfully work in wives that are really wrestling with their role in the home. Help them to spend some time this week just reading the passages, asking your spirit to speak to them about ways that the spirit's really working in their life to build their man but also being convicted about where they're breaking them down. And Lord, I just close that you've given us as husbands, that you talk more about the importance of our role just from the standpoint that we really need to be like Christ. And maybe men really need more of a challenge. And Paul talks a lot to us in this passage. Lord, I pray that you would help some men that don't know Jesus to cross over that line and come to know him. I pray that some men that haven't been keeping their wife warm, that anger and maybe even depression from all the struggles with the economy being down has kept them from having light in their own eyes and joy. I pray that some couples would experience an incredible infusion of your spirit through what we've shared today and that you by your spirit would help
Ephesians 5, not just to be something that we learned about for a few minutes on Sunday morning, but it becomes an inspiring, powerful vision of what our marriages can be by the resurrection power of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.